Majors. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. And I'm Katie. And I'm thrilled to announce the return of one of our favorite guests. I don't like it. Why? Because you're not doing the thing anymore. It's really, I guess, I oh, understand you don't, it. I you don't like it. me giving myself a name? From the last... What if I give myself um, no, like I a, liked you giving another you... thing and then also my name? If I do both yeah. of the things. Yeah. Next time, we'll try it. Can we introduce our guest now? Go ahead. You okay, got it. great. <laughs> so back uh, for his favorite movie is oh, yes. our, what do we want to call our screenwriter... Mm-hmm. Literature lover and teacher extraordinaire, Jimmy Costanza. Oh, wow. Welcome All back, right. Jimmy Costanza. Well, hey, thank you. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, <laughs> that was the most well thought out thing you've constructed there, Katie. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That, that was, was, that was, was, was impromptu. That. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't usually do well with impromptu. But I know that was amazing. Sometimes. Uh, so Jimmy is back because he had uh, had back. mentioned that he absolutely loved L.A. Confidential, a movie that we had talked about several times of having on the show. We just haven't been able to do it. Mm. And we're about making dreams come true on the show. Yes, we are. It's and, yes, we and are, are going Walt Disney World. Last episode, we had somebody uh, on Facebook just say, I love that movie. Can I be on the show? They were on the show. Yes, the yes next you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Jimmy That's... said he wanted to be yep. uh, talk L.A. Confidential. We're talking L.A. Confidential. Mm-hmm. Other listeners. True. Yeah. Don't get any ideas. You kind of have to be a teacher. Be on the show. <laughs> yeah. An English, being an English teacher. Apparently you have helps. to be an English teacher. You have to if be an you English are an teacher. English teacher, the answer will be yes. If you are not, the answer will be maybe. And if you are related to Katie in some way, the answer will be no. Absolutely not. After we were forced to watch from Justin. (laughs) Yes, my my relatives have been disinvited as guests on the show. They're no yep. longer allowed. I can't believe you guys were able to find copies of that. Uh, we had to, we the had to purchase them, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. We had to purchase. We had to buy that. Oh, wow. It's we a had to, lot. yep. Mm-hmm. It's a bit yep. of a sore spot for us. Uh, some Someone somewhere is like, wait, people actually, what happened? Yeah, it's I mean, been, you'll be, you know, it's people been 20 will be years since checks. anyone has, yeah. Somewhere, what that guy who hasn't been in anything except Douchebag Beach yeah. and Grand Theft Auto, yeah, yeah he's going to get like $2 in the mail and be like, what happened? Someone watched I don't the think movie. He's two, I don't think he's getting two dollars. He's not getting two dollars. He's probably not getting it. The movie itself yeah. only costs three ninety nine. Twenty five cent bump in the bank account. Uh, um, so we are watching L.A. Confidential this week. Nineteen uh, fifties uh, L.A. noir, neo noir crime thriller, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Curtis Hanson. Fantastic movie. Dare I say, almost underrated, which we could probably get into because of some of the other films that got more attention the year that that came out. Um, but a fantastic film. But let's quickly fact check because uh, we've had some things happen um, related to previous episodes. Mm-hmm. First of all, Jimmy, we did Caddyshack last episode yeah. with mm-hmm. your colleague. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Caddyshack? Are you a Caddyshack fan? I'm a fan, but I'm not... Uh... I'm not a diehard. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who kind of goes around quoting it. I, I probably haven't seen it in 10, 15 years, you know. Um, the, it's, I, I mean, I appreciate it, but, and, and I, I've heard about all the, the madness behind the scenes, but, uh, but yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I can appreciate it for what it is, but uh, I think that's kind of where it ends for me. I, I made the statement that I don't think women um, were the target audience yeah. on this film, yeah. and I was shocked 
that one of our commenters said every time she finds this movie on playing on TV, she stops and watches the whole thing. I was like, <laughs> I stand. I, I, I was, I'm surprised by that. Yep, I, would I stand be, corrected. I, I yeah, I didn't think that statement was so crazy I, at listen, all when you made yep. it. The, the further we get away from the episode and the more I thought about the movie, there's nothing really about that movie that should work. Um, no. And Similar to Pretty Woman. <laughs> except Pretty Woman doesn't work when you rewatch it. But, this isn't, that was enjoyable. At least Caddyshack was the least enjoyable. Yeah, there, there's something about Caddyshack. When you watch it, you're like, Wait, what? Yeah, on paper what? it makes absolutely and no then, sense. <laughs> yeah, it kind of washes over you, and and it, it, there's funny and there's yeah, it's interesting in like charming ways, and yeah, it's really it's a really weird movie. Well, and uh, sorry, I don't mean to reopen all of these things, but we didn't really get into um, my question at the beginning of the movie was, you know, is the country club culture still a Thing. Oh, yeah. Like, is there oh, like a absolutely. draw to the country can, club, the game of I, golf, all of those things? There is absolutely. Can I tell yeah. you this from this is from several years ago now, but we went out to West Hampton Beach and this was before the kids were born. So we're going almost eight years ago, but to the because my aunt and uncle and my cousins are members of a club. So we went to the bar at the club and legitimately it was like a Friday afternoon and they would sit there and roll dice for who paid for drinks in the entire bar yeah so people were like uh who wants to go around right now and we're like i was like what's going on here my cousin's like oh don't worry about it just just order a drink somebody lost there must have been 55 people in the bar the person when you lost had to buy the entire bar whatever drink they had just bought yeah and nobody thought like anything of it it was like it's so out there it's like a different world hot take country club culture can die in a fire Like I'm di- it's I feel awful. like we may have just lost one well, of our. I mean, it, it's very much like a cult, though, right? It's like they're very like you're in well, or you're out, it's right? Expensive. Well, it's well, a they business. make I mean, it trust, so it business. has to be right. Like, yeah, the, 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 bar- be the barriers to entry are you have a lot of money and you're white. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, but again, that was a whole. We didn't get into that, which is a whole interesting thing. I didn't yeah. even think about. Well, right, because um, I just thought like if you don't know the culture, does the movie still? Is it, well, does I it land it, as much? Right? I think so, because I think it lampoons yeah. basically obnoxious rich Well, people. right. And we talked about that you can find that in lots of lots of scenarios, lots of environments, yes. even if yeah. you're not familiar with golf or country club life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very true. Um, so it was my birthday last week. Yes, it was. Happy I birthday, received, Brian. Uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I received a birthday package that I just had to share with everyone. Um I opened said box and there were numerous things in it tied to com majors. We'll start out with one that was very exciting. A Hannibal Lecter uh, pop. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Though it does make me slightly unsettled. It's him oh. in the orderly outfit with yes, the Billy the Club. Night, yeah. The, the night this, thing. this is not even close to the most disturbing thing. No, he has fact. to stay down in the office. No, he's that, not that's allowed. That's almost creepier than Anthony Hopkins. He's, yes. he's pretty creepy. He can't <laughs> really come out of the loved, office. The Keanu Reeves John Wick that's pop. Creepier. I know that's, Katie. That is absolutely creepier. That's just Katie super hates cool. John Wick. I don't. Yep. Nope. Super cool. Um, a little inside joke. It's not a movie we did on the show, but if you listen to our friends and pop battles, one of my least favorite movies of all time. There was a Dark Phoenix bobblehead pop, now, which I know. Oh wow. Her pop is pretty cool. No, it is in a super cool pop. That is very fun. 
I was considering having my kids take the iPad in the backyard and film the pop in a movie sequence, which they like to do. Which would be better than the actual movie. Better than the actual movie. (laughs) And then all those things, super cool. Then I got something Mm -hmm. which might be the most disturbing thing I've ever received. (laughs) It was a action figure of Gareth from Labyrinth. It's, and oh, it's a striking oh. resemblance. It, it the, comes with action crotch. Yeah, you got you, you can't take your eyes away you, from there's a button. There's a button on the back for his action crotch. It mm. has a cod piece and it comes with the creepy little thing. Oh, now, I'll, wow. po- I'll, I'll post pictures on our, our social media page. This thing is creepy as can be, mm-hmm. but I have to give him credit. It looks amazingly like David. It Bell. really does. Brian, I have to tell you, you know, as parents, I'm sure you understand you get to to provide your children with like gifts that bring them great joy. Right. And that's a really fun part of being a parent. Yes. Um, I've never seen Jim happier about a gift purchase than he was when he came out of the office from yeah. buying this special collection of items for you. <laughs> But they're, he was they're, giddy they will be with in joy. the office um, and I am already starting to plan this year's birthday presents for you. Uh, <laughs> but, but oddly, the day my Gareth action figure arrived, news was released that there's going to be a labyrinth sequel, which I thought was something I think not, which I thought was something that Jim, knowing his technical mastery, had like raped <laughs> as some kind of cruel joke. It's for society. If you remember, I had mentioned this on the episode that there was wind of a remake. Mm-hmm. Wind of change. Winds hopefully. of change. Ho- hopefully they change their <laughs> Who minds. Who could come in and play I, David Bowie? I don't I, know. I, 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 yeah, I couldn't even begin to imagine who would if it's adam uh, lambert jared, jared leto maybe i don't know oh uh, that's interesting well if he hadn't killed himself maybe jeffrey epstein would have oh, been oh, 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 come Jesus. on brian <laughs> it's just uncalled for well we talked oh, about Lord. what david bowie was uncalled for. uh okay and that's fact checked uh mm-hmm. quickly we forgot what is everybody drinking oh, this yes. episode oh, what does everybody um, have wild turkey 101 Ooh, uh tonight turkey. it is the red blend from one hope Jam Very jar nice. back. Uh, yeah, I got the big back. one. I got the wide mouth tonight. Oh, wide yep. mouth jam jar. <laughs> yep. Jimmy, what do you got? Well, so guys, a little bit ago, I couldn't decide whether I wanted uh, like dessert or like mm-hmm. just start right into the alcohol. So I picked something that's a little bit of both. I just I just went for the Baileys, guys. I just oh, went for Baileys. always <laughs> a good choice. Always yeah, a good I'm like, choice. Yeah, I'm in a mood. I don't break it out too often, but I was like, you know what? It's yep. not Baileys. Yes. Let me just do it. Oh, I love Baileys. <laughs> so I have... Night shift brewing, mm. night shift with the owl, night owl tying into today's movie. Oh, look at you! And if you turn night it upside down, he's a hot. murder. Oh wow! Very look at oh, that. Yeah. That's very he's creative. Nice. Um, I do so like an owl. Delicious night shift, uh, which um, interestingly is a, a brewery up here that, unfortunately, due to coronavirus, they were going to open a satellite brewery down in Philadelphia. They uh, were in the process of doing it, but the coronavirus has really has delayed plans on that, unfortunately, mm. which would have been too bad because they they have a really awesome spot up here. And they, I think it would have worked perfectly down there. Well, it, it might still happen, right? It might. It's going to it's on hold for now. So mm. we'll see. Hopefully they go and do that. Uh, all right. It's time for the rundown. <laughs>
This is Danny DeVito from Hush Hush Magazine with the rundown. Is it good? No. It's pretty good. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's 1950s LA, and the police department is full of problems. Corruption, racism, men seeking power any way they can get it. Mix in some high-class cl- prostitutes, a little heroin, organized crime, a love triangle, a touch of Hollywood, and some big guns, and a lot of fo- folks are going to get killed. Uh, welcome to LA Confidential. Excellent. Mm. Oh, nicely oh, done, okay. Katie. Well done. That's actually a very hard movie to summarize. So. I yeah. felt I- the same, <laughs> and my go-to on difficult movies to summarize is short and sweet, Jimmy. Bye. Yeah. Got- Three sentences. That's all I give myself. I have to go I, get our dog who's harassing right. someone in the backyard. I was, I, Carry on. I was impressed, though, with that by Katie. All right. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy's choice, yes. as we do usually with the people who choose the movie. Jimmy, why L.A. Confidential? Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, it is probably the greatest movie I think I've ever seen. And, you know, let me just can I just go. Hold on. Wow, can I just wow. go back to, to my history, right. though, with this movie, though? Yes. Real quick. All right. it out for so. You know, it's a 1997 movie. It, so I was living in uh, in Singapore at the time, right, where we got movies delayed. And it came out at the exact same time. I think it was like almost a week or two away from Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. So like Titanic came out and then like everybody – I watched Titanic. I was like 16 or something at the time. And I was all Titanic. And then, you know, LA Confidential totally like was just – tossed aside nobody really cared about it uh including me i didn't i didn't really watch it until i was in college years later and i watched it just offhanded on a uh on just on the tv one day and you know you're it's like maybe most people's first time watching that movie i wasn't totally sure what i had just seen i maybe understood 60 percent of the plot but i was like exhilarated right so i was like man you guys ever have those like movies or even like you know shows or music where like you you watch it or listen to it and you like cannot stop thinking about it for the rest of the day. You just want to oh, like, yeah. talk to people about it. Even people that like have not seen it, you're like, let me just tell you about this thing. I had that experience with LA Confidential. And then the more I watched it, the more I appreciated it because, you know, it is uh, a very dense movie, right? Um, I, the reason I, I think I, I like it so much is like it is a confluence of like every, you know, every different aspect of filmmaking you can imagine, right? It has top tier acting, top tier writing, directing, uh, the score, the cinematography, everything just kind of works together really well. And, uh, and it has some like go- golden age Hollywood like vibe to it too. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and even like it's style, it's very unassuming, right? There's no, like, you know, we might get into this down the line, but you know, Curtis Hansen doesn't get like really flowery with his directorial techniques, but like, you can tell that he's like in control of every frame. So, um, there's just kind of everything kind of works together and then to kind of go back to something Katie said before, like, it's kind of a movie that shouldn't work. I feel like, because like there's basically a full season's worth of plot packed into two hours and 10 minutes or whatever. And somehow it does. It's like a 1000 piece jigsaw puzzle that like can fit together perfectly when most movies, in my opinion, struggle to fit together like a a 50 piece jigsaw puzzle, you know? Um, It's uh, so it just works on every level. Um, I don't know. And that's why I appreciate it. You know, they say it like, I don't know. Some people say that like, you know, good movies are basically a series of happy accidents, you know, with talent behind them. And I think this is one of those cases, you know, the whole, you know, lightning in a bottle kind of thing. It's just amazing. Well, it's, it's interesting in that it is an adaptation of a book Mm -hmm. and actually a a series of books. Some of these characters play out James Elroy's novels. I want to say off the bat, one of the things that shocked me for a period piece based on a novel 
is the pacing of it was great. And I was shocked that it was only about two hours, 15 minutes or something. Yeah. Usually these types of films, one of the mistakes with them is there, I feel overly long. And we talked about this when you were on last time, we talked about adaptations of books to film and how do you distill it down to a level where you tell a story. And I think you just hit on it. They tell a lot, but they do it very efficiently, which is yep. probably why they won the, they won the Oscar for best for best writing mm-hmm. for yeah. best writing of a screenplay because they are able to disseminate a lot of information in interesting ways. Yeah. And I, uh, in particular, use the use of Danny DeVito mm-hmm. right off the time to be able to move the story along and to jump time at points. I thought was an interesting device to use which sometimes doesn't work sometimes voiceover is a really well hold on thing i want to talk about this specifically because i really like this movie a lot my i have like two little like nitpicky criticisms and one of them is danny devito i think he's totally miscast because he's like and i know it's like period and that that moment feels cartoony Dick Tracy to me, and the tone switches about halfway through. Which, if if that's like your thing, that's fine. Like that that makes sense. But I don't like Danny DeVito doing his kitschy like voiceover. I love the idea of voiceover in noir, but okay. not like not like calling all cars. We're doing yeah that. I, like a little too on the nose. No, it, it just like for such a dense movie i would have loved mm-hmm. and maybe that's just like balancing tone they wanted to keep some of it lighter but the beginning does not feel it feels comic booky compared to where we where we get to just like a half hour later did you i guess my question is this i had an issue with his voice and the way they were doing that as well but I liked how they used the idea of that monologue or yeah, that yeah, yeah. voiceover to move the, but there yeah. was an issue. And, yeah. If and, it was and, someone and like a little that, more, little more seriousness, it, it would have felt better. I know. Uh, and that's my, I was wondering when I saw that too, like he's, I've become so ingrained with him from always sunny. That, yeah. That could be part now, of it too. And he was that, I, I, I wondered if that was me projecting on that. And at the, <laughs> cause I didn't remember that piece of it being as big a deal when I saw it in the theater. Like, I don't know if I've become so attached to him as that character now that it's difficult for me to accept, but I see what you do mean. It was, it felt news. Really? It felt like, um, well, yes. Was that what they were going for? Like a news, like well, it's, a gum it, it's exposition, right? Yeah. Like he, he has the thankless task of being like the exposition guy uh, and has to try to sell it. Like, no, I'm trying to be authentic with I'm this. You know, a like a movie, yeah, yeah. Right. A movie never wants to be accused of like telling versus showing. And this is a movie where they're going to have to tell some things just to get the plot across. And yeah, I mean, well, from he, a, he tells a lot. Well, Jimmy, from a screenwriting perspective, maybe you could talk mm-hmm. about this as well, because I wonder if that was even the original intention of how to open the movie, or is that something yeah. in post where they're like, we have to figure out how to get into this movie. And now he's like doing ADR and they're sitting there trying yeah. to figure out how to write it to match up with footage they have and all that type of stuff. 
Yeah, so I don't really know what the editing process was like. I, I do know that that monologue, I read the script, um, and that monologue was in there. And I think, like, the reason I think it's essential, and they probably did have it uh, for at least, like, the later versions of the script, is that, um, you know, the opening to this needs to do some world building, right? They need to set the stage. They need to tell the audience who Mickey Cohen is, right? Because, yeah, he was a real-life figure, but you can't expect people to automatically know that, right? So, um, you know, th there's, like, certain things that they need to set up. And, like, thematically, too, it's like, oh, this is the golden age of Hollywood. It's like post-war, uh, you know, uh, the America is booming. There's a lot of glitz and glamor. And then like the first half of his monologue is like, he's setting up how incredible uh, Los Angeles is. And then he's, then he kind of chuckles and he's like, haha, yeah, that's what they want you to think. Right. And then he totally flips the script and is like, no, 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 this is actually, you know, this culture is like just a front for like this extremely like far reaching CD underbelly, you know? Um, and so like, it's, you know, the whole movie is about deception, right? I think every single character is deceptive in some way. So I feel it kind of sets the stage for even kind of like some of the thematic statements it's going to say. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I did. And I guess it does work a little better with him being so, um, kind of callous and lighthearted about everything that's going on when, when he's, when he, the tables are turned on him. So. Yeah, I mean, he and that's his character too, right? He's very like over the top, and he's amoral, right? He just everything's a joke to him, right? Um, so you know, it is kind of weird, like to hear it, like for the first time. It's like, whoa, who is this guy who would talk like this? You know, um, but it, it is, I guess, in, in in my opinion, it's in keeping with his character as we come to know him throughout the movie. Well, this was also the third book in mm -hmm. this series, which is interesting as well. Like, if you, it would be like the equivalent of. Um, jumping into Harry Potter with Prisoner of Azkaban, but not releasing the other two movies. So you're right. They did have some world building they had to do with some of these characters, or at least the setting mm -hmm. to be able to get, I think, to probably the core of what the story itself that's, was going to be. That's really interesting. Is there backstory on that? Why they decided to start here um, and not start I, with I, the first they're, they're not i mean jimmy might know better than me but i don't think they're they're the same as like harry potter so that might not be the perfect analogy not, yeah. in terms of that i mean what i know and i and i haven't actually read any of the books and i i've purposely kind of stayed away from the the novel of la confidential i've actually heard a lot of people say that it's not nearly as good as the movie and it's it's very different and um i don't know if you guys have ever i don't know I, i've like read uh, pieces by uh, by the author and like you know watched clips of um, James Elroy who's the novelist and he's a very interesting guy he's very like direct and gruff and negative and he's actually pretty funny to listen to but you know from his own mouth he's just basically like he has this universe in his mind and each book is like a different part it's actually the second book is all about like you said Brian this is the third book the second book is all about um Leland Meeks Buzz Meeks yeah. and it really just kind of traces his very like his role. character too. yeah and it's like i don't think it really incorporates a lot of the characters from from this one so they were able to work around it i don't know why they focus on this one i guess um you know whether it was brian helgelin the screenwriter or somebody else just thought this was the best one i guess well, i know they bought the right I th maybe they bought the rights to all of them and this was the one they wrote maybe mm -hmm. it's i mean remember we we talked about this when we did harry potter you know, Steven Spielberg wanted to do Harry Potter, but he wanted to do Prisoner of Azkaban. He said, this is the one that's the most cinematic. It might have been the other ones. The other one, the, the first one actually is Black Dahlia, which Brian De Palma will go on and turn into a movie, mm -hmm. uh, which is about the Black Dahlia killings in L.A. that there have been a few movies on. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it's less connected to it. All right. Here's the 1990, uh, 98 
Academy Awards. Jimmy brought up how and we brought up how it gets caught up being surrounded by other films. So it was nominated for Best Picture, along with the following films, Titanic, which Jimmy brought up in his story, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, Greg Kinnear, you know, James Brooks, mm-hmm. um, Helen Hunt, uh, Helen Hunt, and um, the really good, cute little dog. Goodwill Hunting, <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, mm-hmm. and The Full Monty. Mm-hmm. The problem, was a strong year. Yeah. And I think the problem is, is if you look at those other four, each of those had selling points from a PR perspective, maybe more than this movie, which is just a great, solid, amazing movie. You know, Titanic was James Cameron, right? The juggernaut, biggest movie of all time, everything. As good as it gets, had the story right, the selling point. It's Jack, it's, you know, he's in it. People love James Brooks. They even had the whole angle. Greg Kinnear was on Talk Soup, and now he's yeah. going to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Full Monty, the funny film, you know, from... And then Goodwill Hunting was the Matt and Ben show, right? Everybody wanted Matt and Ben on every interview. And then you get Curtis Hansen, and you get a couple of Australian actors, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this movie that I think in other years would have won the Oscar. Every, yeah, I well, seeing all the, I, I mean, Titanic, all these and thinking they should have won the Oscar. Yeah, I well, like Titanic is doing. I mean, he's doing technical things that have never been done, just like Jurassic Park did yeah. a few years before. Right. Yeah. As mm-hmm. good as it Everyone. gets full Monty and Google hunting are like borderline indie movies. And as far as like script and storytelling, right, they're not they're not big pictures. They're they're kind of tight. But they're darlings, you know, right, right, champions right. in them in that respect. And L.A. Confidential probably seemed very old fashioned compared to all of those movies in in the moment if you hadn't seen it. Right. Like the perspective of like watching a trailer of L.A. Confidential, which I didn't do, but I'm assuming it looks like Dragnet. Like it it looks it feels like something that probably people had seen before well, probably people thought it was like a chinatown ripoff yeah. right right like I, that. I, I mean i think we've we've talked about the oscar as not not always often not the award that actually goes to the best right. film the best acting of the year that there's just so much other stuff behind that award yeah that i feel like I don't know. Does it even yeah. does it even hold that much weight when you when yeah, you're t- looking back on something? I don't know. Yeah, timing matters too, right? Like yeah. so like Titanic came out in December, right? So like yeah. when the nominations came out and and the, the award ceremony itself, it was still playing in theaters and like there was no stopping it, right? Whereas like, you know, good as good as it gets was a summer movie and like, you know, this this film came out I think in the fall. It was like uh in September or something like that. So like, you know, as the expression goes, the Academy has like a, you know, a very short memory, right? It's like, mm-hmm. so, you know, that, like, like you said, Katie, like there's so many external factors. It's not usually celebrating the best. But I feel, so I feel like best picture, there's just too many moving parts. I do feel like when it gets down to just like best actor, best actress, that it should be easier to just hold up individual performances. Like that, that is really what it should be. Right. Mm. Um, I'm shocked that, that Kim Basinger. And I don't say that as a knock against her. I thought she was excellent in this movie. 
but that this was the best performance of the year that that's shocking to me and i don't fall under the you know the notion that a, a best actor or actress needs to be like acting outside of their usual identity or anything like that i believe in just like strong acting mm-hmm. winning the oscar but I am still well, shocked that she won the Oscar. For maybe this. they saw all her other performances and realized, my God, she's so much mm-hmm. better than she's been in any other movie ever. Mm-hmm. We should just give it. That's These are the other I... people who were nominated. Um, and there were some good ones this year, too. Like, it, it's interesting because it hurt the movie, but they won this. The other nominees were Joan Cusack in In and Out, and she's hysterical in it. But it's a comedy, so she was probably eliminated as Mini Driver in goodwill hunting who's excellent in that but movie. that's a small part small like that's part. that's yeah. not agreed yeah. i i will say this if somebody should have beat her who played a really good role in a role uh julianne moore in boogie nights Ooh, yeah i've never seen it who's Are you fantastic serious? never seen it oh what no and then gloria stewart in titanic which, which to me was what a is gl- that gl- that was a gl- no, that's, that was the, just, that's the right, older was, woman yeah that's yeah no. they were honoring her for but, uh, they can't honor her by not but, okay yeah, but, this is part of my problem is I feel like there's a recognition sometimes within the Academy that movies are really good, but people know it's not going to win what it maybe should win for. So they start finding other awards to give to it. But, so so but they're sitting there fitting I, filling out. They're like, but, well, we can't vote for like confidential for bus movie. So like now all these actresses are kind of the same. And so no, but, I mean, if we're, so am I wrong that it is this just a straight ballot? Right. We're like, right. Like if you're a voting member of the Academy, like you just yes, you get about you have. The and so it's you not like out. a group of people sitting around a table being like, oh, well, this film's getting best picture. So maybe well, we they, should. But Katie, what you're missing, because I know they do this huh. is is they send screeners yeah, and along with that. screeners, they send baskets and then they gift baskets and they send uh, like public like they it's like a political campaign and that's, that's one so of the things ridiculous. that i think that hurt la confidential as well as the studio itself wasn't 100 percent behind this movie they thought this movie it went on to make them like 150 million dollars off of like a 30 million dollar budget they thought it was going to fail miserably which is why they put it in the fall think mm-hmm. about fall releases uh, there are a lot of things that people take seriously they dump in the fall like october is horror movies right <laughs> September, there's almost never anything. And then maybe November, you start to push in. And then December and January are award seasons. So where you get placed a lot of times is telling Academy of Voters, do we think this is a great film or do we not think it was a great film? And then they didn't even have the support necessary, which is wild. They should have screened this. In fact, it was so crazy. Curtis Hansen had to go behind the studio's back to get it into con. They didn't want to put it in con. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, we're taking it to con. I think it's a great movie and people are going to love it there. And people did love it there, which is why it finally started to make some money in America. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the movie. I'm, I don't yes. want to talk about it. Oscar, so. Well, and, and can I say just to get us back to the movie is like, you know, what you were saying in defense of Kim Basinger, I think like I, I do think she actually does a really good performance, but mm-hmm. it's in ways that like we don't expect out of a best actress winner, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we think of a best actress winner winner as like having a character that exhibits the full range of emotions, mm-hmm. you know, glee to trauma to loss and this and that. And you know, she has some emotional scenes, but 
a lot of what she does best in this movie is in the nuances in the quiet moments. Like a lot of her scenes, honestly, are just in her place. Most of her scenes are in her like house, in her room, just talking to, to, to guys. Right. And that's it. But like, it's the way that she moves, the way that she kind of uses her expression. And, and they're, again, they're not like necessarily overly like ex- overly emotional moments, except for like some at the end. Um, she just handles them really, really well that you buy into it, right? You mm. you buy why, like, at that moment, that one scene, Exley is, like, drawn to her, right? It seems like such a, like, a out of, out of character, like, turn for him, but it's like, no, 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 based on the, not only what she's saying, but how she's saying it, using her body, using her face, like, she's really drawing him in. So I think, um, I think, you know, in her defense, I think that's something that she does really, really well. That's not characteristic of a lot of best actress winners. I thought she was Phenomenal. I, I did. I mean, I finished the movie feeling like, wow, that was that was an excellent performance from, from her. Um, I just I just don't know. I, I think that there is something to like an, an Oscar winning performance. I mean, supporting. I just, it's, it's not yeah, yeah, that's factors. a great point. Is, is that I guess that answers my like my question. When you look at films like this and what I think they do very well with this is like and it's different. I don't who do you hold up as the star of this movie? And you know what movie I thought of a little bit when I was watching this and I thought that there was a feel, it was a film that we've done this year was a little bit uh, once upon a time in Hollywood Mm. where there's lots of different players in this movie. And maybe it's a little bit more defined, like Leo's maybe the star, but like, look at Brad Pitt. He won best supporting actor. There's not argument that, you know, made, he was maybe one of the leads, the way they established it, like within this, who's the true lead in this movie? And I thought Kim Basinger is a joking aside because I think she has some really bad performances and stuff, but maybe it's, she needs good material and she got this. She does, I think support the story and the arcs of all the other characters in ways where if you pulled her performance out, I think a lot of this collapses in particular, the Russell Crowe, character Mm -hmm. you know his you know a lot of why pretty much the only reason we get him as a character is her so if you remove that then maybe that invalidates a lot of what's good about this film you know and if you think about the the violence and the chaos turmoil that surrounds her there's very much this idea of her being the calm right like she walks into a room, things settle, you know, like when people walk into her space, there's like this magic that happens. And even just the portrayal of her, her house, right? Like it, it's just, it's a very, um, Classic hev- heavenly, bungalow, right? heavenly yeah. kind of place. Um, no. So I, I mean, I, again, I, I think she was outstanding. I'm not, I am not knocking her performance at all. Uh, I was just, surprised that she got the oscar for it yeah i'm always surprised with the oscar all right here we go i want to hit on since this is jimmy's favorite movie here i want to hit on start selling us on some of it here what is (laughs) what's what is because i love it too but you know this is you're the the huge la confidential fan for somebody who hasn't seen this film what are some things we could talk about and reasons people have to see this movie so one of the things that it does really well, it's almost like contradictory in the way that it handles plot and character work, right? Because I would consider this 
don't know how you guys feel. I would consider this a character-driven piece, as plot-dense as it is, right? The characters drive every scene. I mean, structurally speaking, the movie doesn't necessarily follow conventions, right? I mean, that, that final scene, the way that they, like, you know, uh, you know, kill the bad guys and all that stuff is is very, like, incidental. And if you think about it, they actually don't do anything to uh, bring about the end of the movie. It's like they were just set up and they happened to kill all the bad guys, yeah. which is very unusual for, for a movie. It's like, no, they didn't. I mean, you know, they investigated and they figured things out on their own, but they didn't actually, like, find the evidence and, and you know, do everything. So they, um, yeah, so, like, it's, it's the way that they kind of handles both plot and character work together right like there's so much plot it moves quickly and yet there's time for like slow moments nuance right and i'm talking about like little things like um you know even when like okay so toward the end of the film you've got uh exley uh and you got bud white in the motel and they're holed up there and the guys are surrounding them right uh dudley's guys and just little things where they're like hey you know here give me your gun give me a clip and you know uh bud white tosses it to them and they have that like quiet moment together and stuff like that. Just like little things that like make them feel like real characters. Like most movies of this type that are so plot dense would not care about those kind of things. Right. Mm -hmm. they, it's like, Oh, this is the third act. This is this big action scene. You know, why am I going to do all these little things? Um, and the fact that it does both, right. It handles this, this complex plot, but also has like really strong character work. I think that's amazing. You know, Brian, you touched on something about like how, you know, there's the Australian actors. Remember uh, at this point, Russell Crowe was an unknown, right? Yeah. Nobody knew who he was, right? He got gladiator because of this. And then everybody knew who he was, but he was unknown. He embodies Bud White so amazingly, mm -hmm. you know, like he just, his look, his glare, right? The performances are incredible. Um, same thing with Guy Pierce, right? Nobody really knew who he was at this point. I mean, Kevin yeah. Spacey was, Unless yeah, you saw Memento and nobody really did because Christopher right. Nolan wasn't Christopher yeah. Nolan at that point. Mm -hmm. So you wait, absolutely. wasn't this before N Memento though? Ooh, oh, maybe it was in, and they might've, he might've been filming Memento I, before. It's around the came same. Out. Yeah. Okay. I think Memento came out in 98. So he, I, I don't think he had, I think, actually, I think I'd have to double check. I think people became aware of him because of LA confidential and then Memento kind of turned guy Pearson. Gotcha. The, and he was in a bunch of stuff then as a result of that like time machine oh yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah and yeah, so kevin spacey was really the he was the main name in this movie and and he's certainly like kind of going back to your question brian he's not the main character right? i don't think anybody would call kevin spacey the mm -hmm. main character he's if you had to rank the three guys right actually in my opinion actually would be number one right he's the one that has like the most significant character change we follow him mostly through then Bud White and then it's Spacey's character, right? So mm -hmm. they, they put a lot on the backs of those Australian guys and they, they delivered amazingly, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I thought that, I thought that was great. And I, I don't know. I just think like all the little moments and I've seen this movie enough where I still get things out of it. Right. I mean, if you watch it once or twice, you're probably not going to get all the, all the plot down, right? Like it's still just kind of working it out in your mat in your mind. But I got to tell you, like after watching it as many times as I have, like everything works out amazingly. It's like, Oh yeah, I understand why this character would do this. Motivations are clear the way kind of it all comes together. So it, it struck me on rewatch and I, I, I was shocked at how long it had been since I watched this because I literally did. I remember seeing this movie in the theater at the time and just being in love with it and being like, I think mm -hmm. this is the one I wanted to win the Oscar. And it had been a while, but a comparison to a movie you and I both were talking about before we even went on, which is like the original Mission Impossible, which was the summer before yeah. this, which is 
people were slightly confused, I think, about the plot if you only watched it once or twice. But once you watch it repeatedly, you start to understand the care that went into these things. Mm -hmm. And once you get to like that third watch of it, you're like, critics were complaining about X, Y or Z, the plot not matching it. It's just because it's not dumbed down. Everything's there for you. Uh, you know, so my and, second and, nitpick, there are pieces of this movie that are dumbed down in ways that didn't need to be. Specifically, instead of Bud White having like a noir style like monologue or like uh, voiceover, they have flashbacks on half the screen, which is really, to me, it was like, you didn't need that. And that's a small flashbacks? nitpick. Yeah, he has those moments where he remembers a previous scene. I think it happens... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was it's Guy actually, Pierce. It's actually, yeah. actually in one I, Where he's trying to I, think about, yeah, he's figuring out the And owl. Bud White happens when he sees the girl with but, red hair again. But I feel, the, like that, uh, yeah. I feel like that's something used frequently, though. And, I, and actually, that's... Speaking of Mission Possible, the first one is, like, that sequence... Um, in the restaurant between uh, John Voight and Tom Cruise, they do the same thing. Like they yeah. reshow it. And I, and I do think that's an editorial choice and it, maybe it is a dumbing down, but in this, the problem it, is you get it sometimes. I, I think it's to help us out. Yeah. It's to I help us. But probably, yeah. I think in mission impossible, in mission impossible, I feel like it, it's showing that Tom Cruise is smarter than me. Okay. And in and this, this is... it's showing that these characters are dumber than me. Yeah. Okay. Because like, right. I'm already there. I'm already there. And then it comes up and I'm but like, you, oh, you didn't But do you do think that. everybody's there? No, I don't think that's no. my, but, 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 yeah. but I think uh, that's, and this is that's the my question. Is about. I know, but yeah. it's... Yeah, right, but the, the, right, the movie has to work for everybody. No. Not yeah. just... No, no, no. Yes, it does. It can't just be for the folks that are like paying the most attention to detail. <laughs> Well, you know, Jim, here's the thing. Here's where I agree with you. So, like, there's this scene you guys remember at the very end where after the climax, the day no there's literally Exley sitting there alone. And they're like, what's happened? And he spends maybe two minutes in this yeah. monologue explaining the entire plot of the movie, which is totally unnecessary. Like, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, most filmmakers would be like, well, this is just he's just I've, telling. It's just exposition. We've already seen this play out there. I, I, I'm certain that the filmmakers did that because, man, our audience is going to be lost if they're watching it for the first time. Like without that, they're going to be lost because, you know, yeah, if you watch it a couple of times, you, you know it. And that to that monologue is completely unnecessary. It doesn't add anything. It just kind of rehashes. It's like the Wikipedia summary of a movie. It's like, no, I feel like right. that's for the first time, the viewers. You and know? we we paused at that moment. Um, so we broke this into watching like we watched in two sections. And um, not and that I, moment. You're talking about two separate moments. I don't think so. When he talks to Bud White. No. About, when when it's not what Jimmy's talking about. about. Oh, I'm, so I'm talking sorry. about like literally. It's like two minutes left in the movie. He's just sorry. I thought. Well, but that's similar. It's similar when, but, when Bud but White's I, beating up Eggsley and he yeah. kind of like gives him Eggsley oh, yeah. the rundown yeah, of I like. Thought, I thought that was okay because it was within the action. I well, feel like and that I sequence... and I appreciated it because I had said to, like I paused after the interview between Eggsley and. But you're confusing the... my complaint because I wasn't complaining okay. that he did that in that okay. moment. I was no, complaining I, that I knew what you were talking about too. Okay. The visuals. Yeah, yeah, the visuals. I know the if, exposition if... of him talking to Bud White and explaining how the. Um, african-american guys were were framed i think is fine but you said you need you needed that to feel much better about the 
like their whole right so so there were details that i felt like again if i wasn't paying attention which i often am not paying attention when i'm watching a movie um like i paused and was like okay so wait what like why did he ask her what time they left the you know the room and like trying to put all the pieces together and so when when bud white and eggsley have that conversation i was like okay if i hadn't had that conversation with somebody next to me i would have needed that moment in the movie to be like right okay this is this is how all of the things connected if you had ever watched a movie with patty costello you would understand why that scene is there my point is (laughs) i feel like but i feel like that wasn't may have even have been a note from the studio when yep. they watched it and you know they do all these test screenings of things and they're like listen it we're getting cards back from test screeners and they're saying they're confused about what's going on here and you have to those this. two scenes that we we just talked about i do not have a problem with. <laughs> all right that's no, all no, i want to say yes i'm understand. talking about specifically those visuals yes <laughs> yes, but I'm saying that might be why they cut those in, Jim. I'm not talking that yeah. you said that, yeah. but I'm saying sometimes I, and it's if like I they can point out and... at the moment that one of those was happening, you were literally saying, is that the girl from the car at the beginning? You were asking the question. And so that tells you that they need to give you that information. Now, whether they need to give it to you as a visual, See, I would say that's exactly the opposite. What do you mean? The fact that I because I would have like. I was piecing it together in the moment and then it just like told me and I was like, Oh, okay. Most people, I I don't know. I feel like there's a balance of uh, some people need to be beat over the head with it. I think it's, I think that's a challenge of a movie. Because oh, I especially think a murder mystery, right? Yeah, like, like you, when you read it a book, needs to know you can't, you don't want to give out too much. You don't want right, to, you don't right, want right. to give out nothing. It's like, there's, there's this delicate, balancing act where if your like, audience gets confused if they yeah. can't follow the threads then we'll, we'll they're never not because it was there they're not yeah. going to love the movie <laughs> i would i have to what impressed me in this rewatch of this movie is and it, i'm i'm really intrigued in terms of the approval of it and all this and maybe i i begin to understand a little bit where the studio might have been apprehensive there's not necessarily any character in this movie that is beloved and maybe i'm wrong about that i think kim basinger is the closest you get to yeah but there's it's it's the morality yeah the morality and and i'm fine with that and i think in a modern context if you looked at hollywood in television in the last 10 to 15 years that it's trended a lot of this way Back in 97, and I'm wondering in some respect if this ties into a little bit of what we were starting to see here, um, it, you know, a changeover in 97 with this. But usually a lot of films, you would have somebody where Exley, there, he wouldn't have been the elements of sleaze or pol- he wouldn't have slept with Kim Basinger. He would have gone over there and maybe mm. kissed her, but then left. Yeah. And that would have been the safe choice. Because if you look at it here, None of the characters we're supposed to be attached to, they're extremely flawed. And I and I think mm-hmm. that makes the film endearing in some ways. Can I please compare this to a film that we have previously watched, who I will need you all to remind me the name of? Pulp Fiction. No. Martin Scorsese, Matt Damon. The, 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 Departed. Oh, the Departed. Thank you very much. 
This is my problem with The Departed, because when we watched The Departed, I said, I don't feel like they did anything new in this film. Mm -hmm. This idea of like that everybody um, has the capability of being awful, no matter whether you're a police officer, a priest in the mafia, like it, it doesn't matter that you're, we're all on the continuum, right? Um, that we've seen that before. And to me, Ellie Confidential nails that so much better. And 10 years, 15 years before, I think they play really well with all of the parts that make up an, an adult human and yeah. and how they're motivated often to do horrible things where you could look at that act and say like, that was a horrible thing that you did. But then when you put it in the context of their entire life or just in a larger mm -hmm. context, you understand the motivation that led up to that moment. And yeah. I think this movie does that really well. Yeah. The difference is that there's, there's character arcs in this that make that are compelling and they're, they're not in the departed. Yeah. There's no arc in the departed. They're, they are who they are at the beginning of that movie, and they are who they are at the end. It's like uh, they don't change. I feel like yeah. they're not interested in arcs. Right. Uh, listen, it's another example, by the way. Right? Uh, if we were to talk about Oscars, it, it's the year you're nominated. If if I and maybe I'm crazy, but if you said to me, you know, I'm going to give you a choice here. You're watching The Departed, or yep. you're watching L.A. Confidential. To yep. me, it's no. You choice. hold these I think two movies LA up against each other. Is far superior. To Absolutely. Me. And one of the things I think that's actually just to, to go off of that, that's impressive about LA Conventional, probably one of the reasons why it won the best screenplay is it does that um, with like a, like a lot of economy, right? Of characters. So like you have that scene, an amazing scene between Exley and, um, and Jack Vincennes, Kevin Spacey's character, where Exley is trying to recruit Vincennes. Like these guys have no business really working together, but, but they have kind of this common thing where like they have this unresolved case separately that they they can work together and help each other out with and Exley tells his whole story right about Rolo Tomas Tomasi and he asks the simple question of Kevin Spacey he says like you know why did you want to become a cop and all that Kevin Spacey says is I don't remember right and it's like the perfect line to say that moment because we kind of understand the whole arc of this character like what has led to this moment right he may have been noble at one point when he was younger but he's like worn down at this point and he's all bought into like the glitz and glamour of LA and he's like you know what I, I, I've had enough of that. So like we identify, even though all these characters are flawed, we identify with them and the script does it often with just a single line or a single action or a look and we buy into it. It's just, it's great. Yep. I, I also think, so when we were starting this movie, I said to Jim, oh, this is a long one. I think this one's like three hours long. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you said that, yeah, while you had to get in the dog, amazed by that. Right, mm -hmm. well, but so when I think about it, I think it's because when you try to replay this film in your head, there is so much going on in this movie. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there are the number of characters that there are, this is a really large cast. There's 80 speaking parts. This is a lot. That's a lot yeah. of people, Insane. right? And I don't feel like any of it's extraneous or that it takes away from your major character arcs. Like, that's really well balanced to be able to have that many minor roles and mm -hmm. and settings honestly i mean like you're all over the place um so it feel it feels i don't think it feels like a long movie in terms of engagement i think it feels like a long movie in terms of the amount of story you feel like you've gotten mm -hmm. it feels yeah, there, like there an epic like a, film yeah 
there is a i feel like a full series like a tv they actually tried to turn this into a tv show they they shot a pilot yes they shot the pilot and everything and i guess nobody picked it up mm. but yeah other favorite so, moments anything else well strike I, you? I was i was a big fan visually of this film in the way it shot. And I, I think we, even when Jimmy was on last time, for whatever reason, I just remember being in the theater and I think it was not knowing who Russell Crowe was. And when he goes to Pierce Paget, who is the guy who's bankrolling the, the process and Russell Crowe is just with his eyes and they, they start to close the garage door yeah. Oh, yeah. on Russell Crowe. And I think maybe it's just because of where I was in starting to watch film at that point. Um, you're just getting older you know, and you start to realize what could be conveyed with just a visual or an, like we talked about what Kim Basinger was doing in, in part of this performance, though, the, the intensity of Russell Crowe, uh, which I, I miss, like, I feel like he's become, you know, unfortunately, he's old the time. I saw him on screen was the mummy, but he's not just old. He's let himself go. And he's like almost Brando esque like towards the end now where he's just, I don't know if he cares. Like he is so absorbed in this character and mm-hmm. the energy that yeah. he has in like that sequence and the way it was shot. And the cinematographer is, I mean, does some of the stuff is a guy who works with Michael Mann a lot and shot yeah. heat and last of the Mohican and the insider. And it just has that style to it, which I thought was interesting. It was slightly there. I felt there was, you, a lot of time with noir, especially when you go to like the classic noir, there's not as much camera movement in it because they used to be back in the day. If you think back to uh, like Maltese Falcon and all those where camera movement wasn't something they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think between the DP and Curtis Hansen, there are some tracking shots and stuff in this that are a unique take maybe on this type of movie that allows you to live more in that world. Mm-hmm. Then maybe you are able to have lived in previous movies, even Chinatown and Polanski in some respect. Yeah. Well, so you made me think about that scene where um, Detective White shows up at Kim Basinger's house, you know, after he finds out that she has slept with Exley um, and talking about the fullness of these characters and that they all do horrible things. Yes. But that the writing of these characters makes it so that you still empathize with each of them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, your heart breaks with this guy. And I do think, you know, even from the very beginning with Bud White, it's such an interesting um, introduction to his character. Because we see right off the, from the, right off the bat that um, he can't stand violence against women, right? Like, so, like, you get that immediately. And that endears him to you. Um, but then you also see him battle with the like the violence in him, um, mm-hmm. which right. So you get both sides of this. Yet you're like you're 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 in it with him. I, like there's mm-hmm. just something about his character that you know, like your heart breaks with him when he finds out the woman he loves has slept with this. You know, mm-hmm. he sees this like arch nemesis sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then similarly with Exley, like Exley is a little shit. Right. Like, even though he may seem like he has the moral compass at the beginning of the movie, like he is not a likable character. You, He right. is the kid that goes and, you know, runs and tells the teacher on you like you He's, don't like him. And then he becomes likable. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Well, he's got the most interesting arc to me, and mainly because I think in the beginning I felt like, oh, he is good. And then as the movie goes on, I'm like, no, he just realized that like his path forward was was not falling in line. And then he goes full circle to be the guy that Dudley says he's not going to be, mm-hmm. which is basically a corrupt cop. Like he he's not going to tell the truth. He's going to go forward, take his and and you know, that's you know, he's been sullied by the whole process as well at that point. So it's like to me. It's well, and I don't know. I feel like you can read his. I feel like you can read his ending a few different ways, because you could also read that as the only way that he's going to have any true impact is to get into a position of power. Right, and that's and how so, every right. Yeah, that's how every bad guy thinks that they're the good well, guy. But again, here we are as the audience saying like, okay, well, in that, so yeah, that was a that was a bad choice if we want to label it as such, right? Like that was not necessarily the moral choice. But I can understand why he made it. Oh, yeah. If, right. Yeah. You know, and so it, it just takes was, you through that in those yeah. intricacies. His line was like, uh, you know, they were using me. Uh, so I'm going to use them for a little while. You know, yeah. so, you know, he's he's going to kind of he knows how to play the game now. Right. Where he can do that. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I feel like I don't know, maybe, maybe this is kind of depends on how you see it. But I, I, I feel that he is at least a, a more noble character than he, he under now he kind of sees things for what it is. Like one of the cool things about his character, you remember he has those glasses and he always has them on and people are always telling him lose the glasses. And I remember that point halfway through the movie, he loses his glasses. Like suddenly he can't see things as clearly anymore, right? Things aren't so black and white. And, uh, you know, by the end, there's that just that hanging moment that most movies would would do away with where he's just staring at his own reflection while he's sitting there in the interrogation room and he's just staring at himself, no glasses bruised up. And he kind of comes to this recognition of himself. I thought, you know, yeah. it shows that he's really changed. You know, I love the interrogation stuff. The, the, the way he does it, you know, we've talked oh, yeah. about before on the show. I love and Katie as well, homicide and Andre Brower. And there's something to me in a cop sequence when you get an actor that can really perform and that was Guy Pierce when he's cutting through with the night owl. Like oh, there's something great. really the way it's shot that made me think of homicide and the way um, that that was written. And if you can give an actor that who has the ability and he just delivers in those sequences. Yeah. My, I would say my favorite sequence is probably from this watching was probably when they go to interrogate the judge Ah, and they kind of, to me that's like the point where where they like really start to amp up the movie right like Mm -hmm. bud is clearly off you know the reservation ready to drop a judge out out of or the da he's da yeah yeah so (laughs) yeah just even the way that scene sets up jim like i'm right there with you it's like one of the best scenes movie like they just walk into his office exley goes and sits down in front of the desk and um Bud White just kind of stands like leers menacingly right by his desk. And like, it's wordless the first moment of that. And it's like, it tells you everything about the dynamic between those two guys. And it's just, and I think, I think those are the moments where Exley gets likable, right? Is like that Mm -hmm. he has learned to accept and embrace (laughs) these parts of humans that uh, he previously wanted to like turn his nose up at and say like, I'm better than that. I, I don't need any of that. Um, and then that that like mutual respect that develops between the two of them that they realize they need each other um, in this relationship, you know, 
they balance each other out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Should we have um, been taking cues for Hollywood that everybody knew Kevin Spacey was a piece of trash? Just mm. like looking back at all the roles he had now, like we saw him in Baby Driver, piece of garbage. He's oh, Midnight great, in the Garden of Good and Evil. He's not a oh, good person a good in this mm-hmm. movie, really. Not great person by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. Uh, you know, you no, know so maybe we should have it. known. <laughs> It's so hard. I didn't mind. Like, I remember watching it originally. Being like, oh, he died. It's Kevin Spacey, right? He's the he was at this point, like Jimmy said, one of the selling points because you will. I think usual suspects was 95 or 96, right? You know, yeah, people knew him. 96, I think. Like, yeah. now it's kind of like, eh, he's dead. Good. Yeah. Somebody going to kill him? <laughs> no, I have to be honest. <laughs> I think this was one of his most likable roles. Oh, yeah. He, well, he becomes, he becomes a, a right. likable like, guy. He has a redemption. Right? Yes. Yeah. Again, there's no taking away from his acting. The guy in, in a certain role can perform, but I didn't mm-hmm. care so much when he got shot this time. Yeah, who, who, well, I mean, you know, who knew that he could play such like this, like sleazy schmoozer really well? Just like, just like Russell Crowe, right? Our entertaining life. He's just like this, you know, hulking bruiser guy. And that's, yeah. you know, there's the stories of him with the telephone and all that stuff. You know, they just, yeah, it's, we would be remiss since Jimmy's background. If for people who are watching, <laughs> if you're just listening on the podcast, it is from Babe the Pig, James Cromwell. So good. He's incredible. In this movie. And I think the casting of him, like now he goes on to play heavier roles that I think about him, including Jack Bauer's father mm-hmm. on 24. Oh, <laughs> I forgot wow. about that. But, yeah. but most, I think a lot of American movie fans knew him from babe the pig and this was so different which i think is a jarring twist that they played off right yeah he's the big bad guy in this and all that type of stuff which was a really interesting choice and can i say like what he did with the character too so you know again i, I read the script and you know the, the character of um dudley smith was very just kind of like a flat kind of like you know straight-laced character i mean um what he did you notice he throws in a lot i guess he's irish you know so he throws in a lot of this like irish uh, oh, little yeah. terminology little things you know hey boyo stuff like that that was never in the script so you know that that's cromwell just like putting his own little unique twist on that character that like makes him feel real you know mm. he's like oh yeah i'm just an irish guy that's like captain of the la police force you know um i thought that was great yeah, he, I um, thought he, he interestingly, his character plays a big role, I think, in some of the other books. Yeah, I don't, yeah, so I don't, I don't know, know what it was, but that was a bigger character in it. Uh, can I can I say one other thing, yeah, by the way, about yes. the movie here that I, that I love that want. people this don't usually movie. say about this? The freaking like music and sound in this, the, the design like is incredible. Like there are moments where it uses like silence so effectively. You remember when uh, Bud White is uh, kind of the middle of the movie, he's, uh, he's rescuing the, the girl who's, uh, you know, w- was uh, held hostage in the guy's house. And oh, yeah. there's no music. It's all just the sound effects. You hear like the cartoons in the other room and it really builds up the suspense so well because it's like, you're holding your breath. Like every little movement, we hear his footsteps. Is there a guy around the corner? So the way the movie uses silence is incredible. The same thing at the end. You guys remember when Exley and White are holed up in the uh, in the hotel, and you hear, you know, the, the, that scene is shot from their perspective. You don't see how many bad guys are around them, right? There's no music. You hear them whistling to each other. They're communicating. And it's so frightening because you're like, oh, these guys are coordinated. You don't know how many of them there are. You hear them rustling in the bushes. Like most movies won't do that. They'd like pound on the, you know, the, the, the percussive music or whatever. They just let the silence like enhance mm-hmm. the uh, 
enhance the moment. So I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And that's not to take anything away from Jerry Goldsmith's score, who, uh, you know, he also did Chinatown. I don't know if that's any coincidence, but uh, also like did Air Force One. Awesome. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Every, you know, <laughs> look at every Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, there you go. That's why you're, you're being drawn to. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just I don't know. From end to end, it's really great. It was great pick. I, 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 great pick. Yeah, Jim. great. I'm so I'm shocked. I, I I was so excited to rewatch it and amazed it had been so long since I had seen it last. Can um, I ask you how you guys watched it? Because I don't think it's streaming anywhere, right? I had my Blu-ray copy, but did you guys uh, no, rent I it? Purchased you... it. Oh, okay. Right. We rented. We rented. Yeah, uh-huh. I had to yeah. dig, dig around to find it, and it was well. <laughs> unlike from Justin the yeah, Kelly, this I did not. We had no problems with <laughs> spending money on any nope. money. Nope. It uh, felt at a. What was it? That two hours and seventeen minutes. Mm-hmm. Was that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It felt about a quarter of the length of Justin That's Kelly, which, which was, was an hour. And minutes. Minutes. <laughs> which was not was even ninety minutes. Cleanse. I felt I like my soul like someone had been should pay me for from watching it. Yep. Uh, all right, it's time for game of the week. When we do two episodes in a week, we can do five questions in one episode in Game of the Week in the other. Um, So this week's Game of the Week, we get two sound effects for this because this week's Game of the Week is Com Majors Time Machine, which means we get to listen to Huey Lewis. love Huey Lewis. That's great. All right. So we're going back in time. 1997. Uh, Jimmy's in Singapore. Uh, Jimmy's in Singapore. I am. Fall of 1997. Jim and I are at the University of Scranton. And Katie is a senior in high school drinking in a bar with her teachers. That's true. So this is what we're going to do. We have a movie. TV show and song. I'm going to give you three options and tell us uh, what would you choose if you went back in the DeLorean and you had your options to watch mm-hmm. these. So you're you're in the DeLorean. You go back. Three movies are playing in the theater other than, of course, the amazing mm-hmm. L.A. Confidential. Which one are you seeing? And these are the three top grossing movies of 1997. Are you going to see Titanic? Are you going to see Lost World Jurassic Park? Or are you going to see Men in Black? Mm. Katie, what are you going to see? I will be in the theater with Men in Black. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Jimmy, what are you seeing? Uh, I'm going to see I'm going to see Titanic, I think. Mm. Okay. I'm going to see Titanic. I'll pass the tissues your way. (laughs) Jim, I think I'm going to see Titanic as well. Mm. Uh, Because I think guys can share. I think in that moment, that's the only one of those movies that is a theater experience that's probably worth revisiting. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, that's a good reason. Just to let you know, I saw all three in the theaters <laughs> at the time. I think I did, too. Um, yep. And did I, I, I uh, too, would pick Titanic. Oh, we could have gone. Boys, that's so sweet. We'll go together. We're the kings enjoy, of the world. Enjoy kings that world. experience. <laughs> and just for, <laughs> yeah, just for, I, I think at the time, I was probably most excited about... Lost World. Black, maybe. Uh, maybe Lost World. I was definitely I did most love excited Drift. about I do love Tommy. Lost World. Oh, yeah, Lost All right, World. here we go. TV, TV, three top-rated shows. Two of them you're going to know immediately, and the other mm-hmm. one you're going to say, what the F is that? Mm-hmm. Katie, I didn't curse for you. Oh, said thanks. F. Thanks, Bri. Uh, okay, Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. ER. 
mm-hmm. or Veronica's Closet, the Kirstie that. Alley ah. sitcom. Yeah. What would you be watching, Jim DeSanto? 97. So ER was old at this point, right? No, well, ER not, so it's it's still Clooney. It's, it's still like, Clooney. It's like three this years is, in. This is Batman and I'm Robin. still going Seinfeld. Clooney's still there. Mm. Still okay, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Uh, Jimmy Costanza, what do you watch? Well, so at the time, I would be watching uh, ER for sure because in Singapore they didn't even have. I didn't even know Seinfeld was a thing until I came back to the U.S. So, but now I, knowing what I know now, it would be Seinfeld for sure. Katie, uh, ER, ER. Then, like when I was seventeen, and still ER now. <laughs> I mean, not I'm not watching the new ERs, but I will watch 1997 ER. Yes, uh, I've Seinfeld all the time. though i love dr as well and veronica's closet by the way you might ask how the hell was that the third rated program i don't even know what that is the time because it was the show on before it was seinfeld and the show on after it was er which were the two top oh wow that's so fun i now remember watching that show for that very reason because you were i watched the whole night yeah and you yep that's what it is. And finally, songs. Uh, here are three top 10 songs of 1997. Which would you be listening <laughs> These to? These are handpicked, by the way. I want to look at the top <laughs> songs from 97 because this is bullshit. Now, I'm Go. so sorry. I do need to just ask about this question. Are we traveling back as our current day selves? Or yeah, are, are, are we just looking back on like what's what our 1997 selves were doing? Well, you could do either. Okay, because I'm answering it as like, what would I choose now? Okay, so those are the top three. All right. Uh, Exactly. You besmirched me, Jim. (laughs) No, but you questioned my character as an individual, and now you are going to be proven wrong because Mm -hmm. you yet again just probably wanted to deny the song that you would have been listening to. Oh no, I'm taking. I'm taking foolish games. One hundred percent. Would you have listened to something in the way you look tonight by Elton John? No, that wasn't. I'm. No. Foolish Games by Jewel or I'll Be Missing You from Puff Daddy. Uh, which song would you want to listen to, Jim? I'm Fo- going with Jewel all the way. He's always yeah, Jewel, Jewel all the way. All the way. I, I will take I'll Be Missing You. Yeah, I think that would be me mm-hmm. too. Oh, I think that that's it. It's Notorious B.I.G. I yeah. too would pick the Jewel song. Yeah. Mm. I would mm-hmm. be listening to that as well. Um, all right, play some more Huey Lewis as we get back. <laughs> I don't know. Into should the I? Board. Are we going to be? Uh... Are we going to be blocked? Maybe. So too much Huey. Is there such a thing for Facebook as too much Huey Lewis? Maybe if I talk oh, over it, they won't too text much it. Lewis. All right, the there's box. never too much. And we're we're talking over the song. That's right. When you talk yep. over the song, yep. it, then they can't they really hear it. They can. Uh, <laughs> we are back and. Um, Jimmy, thank you. We love the movie. Thank you so Yay. much, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. We loved having you on. I oh, can't yeah. wait to hear uh, what movie you'll have for us next time when you come back. So <laughs> oh, yeah. Storming. Oh, absolutely. Um, pass it along. We have lots of exciting things upcoming. Our, our next episode is a little film. You may have heard a little independent film. Uh, from the early 1980s called E.T. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. We'll be talking Are about Are our kids e. ready for this? I don't think so. No. Uh, There's that our traumatizing kids. point. Oh, oh, our kids have already watched it. Yeah. So they like it? I think you, uh, yeah, they loved okay, it. Okay. And I think okay. they're going to rewatch it again okay. uh, oh. with me this time. Um, and, you know, Aileen's very sensitive about things, and she was the one that... <gasps> I could, oh. so, so I think you can go with that. Wait, um, I need one minute. Yes. One minute with Jimmy. Jimmy, 
as oh, a yeah. parent to two daughters, did you mm-hmm. hear Brian Costello informed me that Greta Gerwig is directing a movie about Barbie? I did not hear that. Uh, that would be insane if that I, I, were true. Apparently, this true? is the truth. This is true. This is, true. This is the you word on the street. You so look it up. I'm really excited for that because Margot Robbie as Barbie. Yeah, so obviously she's going to flip the script on this whole thing. But this, given what she did with Little Women, uh, I don't know. This this could be really cool. I don't know. Yep, it's announced. It's on IMDb, so it's got to be true. Really? <laughs> oh, she's going to smash like Barbie to pieces. She's going to oh, totally gosh. like reconstruct it. I guarantee you. Oh, and Noah Baumbach is writing it with her. I had what? I yeah. had a small victory last night. Oh my night. god! We were watching Making It with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. And there was a maker who was tearing Barbie doll legs off and making them into a craft. And she said, my mom never let me watch um, or play with dolls like this. And and Amy Schumer said, oh, your mom was trying to protect you from the Amy society. Poehler. Sorry, Jesus not Amy Christ. Schumer. Sorry, Amy <laughs> Poehler. Uh, your mom is trying to protect you from the societal ideas of beauty, project, right? Like something very like academic and, yeah, you know, big. And my daughter turned to me and said, Mom, that sounds like you. I was like, if you understood any of those words (laughs) or just the idea, we'll take it. Uh, I love it. so we'll have E.T. our next episode. The guys from Pop Adult are picking a movie. God knows what that will be. And then we'll be celebrating our 100th episode of Comedy. Wow. All right, guys. You got to do something special for that. Uh, I have a glitter bottle of One Hope in the, in the fridge just for the occasion. Yeah. Can't wait. Jimmy, we'll have you on soon. Pick something. It's going to be hard to top this one. You're going to have to think. Oh, yeah. This is well, I- amazing. He's got some tricks with a thing or two. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would love to come back on, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jimmy. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. All right. See ya.